Hi guys, this is Doug Fletcher. Welcome back to What's the Hazard, the podcast for safety professionals, brought to you by safety professionals. Um, I've got a couple things before we introduce our guest today. Um, First of all, the introductory episode, we considered maybe redoing that because it felt like I didn't get everything covered that I wanted to cover, of course. I'm not very good at following notes or following a script, and so I typically just go free form. And then I... I, I actually was a little bit anxious the first time, man. I was a little bit nervous. I w- I, there was a number of things I wanted to cover, and I felt like afterwards that I didn't hit everything. So rather than redo the first episode, I think I'm just going to reiterate a few of the points while we're going. And so today, my, my point today is the podcast is really intended to be a source of information. I think safety professionals need information. Um, this is a huge uh, topic. Safety is so broad. It covers so many things that I think we are all really hungry for information. And so I'm just hopeful that this podcast will serve as a source of information. Uh, and you will have lots of those, hopefully, but just add this to the toolbox, hopefully. So I think information specifically, I do think though, that there will be some affirmation from this podcast. Uh, if you've been a safety professional for any length of time, you know, that, Occasionally, self-doubt will creep into your decision-making, uh, a little uncertainty maybe. And uh, I can remember when I was the compliance assistance person with the OSHA office here in Omaha, probably half of my phone calls, and, and we would get hundreds of phone calls a week, probably half of those phone calls were people who just wanted affirmation that they were on the right path, man. They were doing the right thing, that they understood the regulation, that they weren't just totally off base. So information first affirmation, hopefully. And then unfortunately, I think that this podcast will serve to provide some consolation at times. Uh, This is truly serious work. We do serious work um, that can have serious consequences. And from time to time, it doesn't go well. And and, uh, we do have incidents. We might have accidents. God forbid, we might have a fatality. So occasionally, I think as safety professionals, we also need a little consolation from time to time. So Hopefully that po- this podcast can deliver that for you as well. So information, affirmation, consolation. Um, number two, uh, I really want the podcast to be question-based. Uh, we've set up an email account so that you can send in your questions or you can submit ideas for topics or guests or uh, another thing I thought of, if you have a best practice that you guys use at your facility and you would like to share that with the listeners, by all means, send in your best practices and we'll try to get those out on the air. I think that would be phenomenal, frankly. Um, but I received my first question. Pat and I were talking about this. It's not from my mother, Pat. <laughs> so I was very excited about this. I got a, I got a question. Um, it's a question that I actually get frequently and it's from uh, uh, an individual who is the new record keeper for their company. Uh, they said that they were asked, they needed a little bit of clarification between recording and reporting as far as OSHA is concerned, what the regulations talk about. So I'm going to briefly talk about recording versus reporting. We can get into more detail on this later if you are interested before I introduce our guest. Um, recording with a C, recording is the act of tracking our injuries and illnesses. We typically use the OSHA 300 log. Uh, It's available online at at www.osha.gov. You can get the logs, or maybe your company has a log. You can still use paper logs. But we are required to track injuries and illnesses that meet certain criteria uh, in our work environments. Okay? It's very straightforward. Um, In addition to that, there is a 300A, which is a summary sheet that you have to post at the end of the year. And now you have to use that information to report electronically, uh, as I'll mention here toward the end. Uh, And there is also a 301 form, which is also referred to as maybe a first report of injury or incident form. You might be using an equivalent form. Your workers' compensation court uh, may have an equivalent form that you can use. But we've got a 300 log, 300A, and the 301. And those are the record-keeping forms that OSHA requires us typically to maintain. Um, most companies are going to be required to keep logs. Okay. There are some exceptions. I won't get into this specific exceptions. They're based on size and they're based on the nature of the industry that you're in kind of low hazard industries, 
typically don't have to record. Small businesses, 10 or fewer at all times during the previous calendar year, don't have to record that subsequent year. If you have questions about this, you can find this in the OSHA regulation on record keeping. It's 29 CFR 1904. It's all on the website and there, you know, in more detail than you could ever care for. Now let's talk a little bit about reporting. Uh, back in 2015, I think, no, well, so since I've been around, I started with OSHA in 96 or 97, I think, uh, employers have always been required to report catastrophic incidents. So fatalities had to be reported to the, uh, the area office, um, we called them catastrophes, actually. Multiple hospitalizations as the result of some work-related incident had to be reported. As of 2015, OSHA modified that a little bit. So now we are required to report fatalities, certainly, amputations, inpatient hospitalizations for treatment, and I'll talk a little bit more about that, and the loss of an eye, okay? The physical loss of an eye rather than just an eye injury. Those things have to be reported to OSHA. Um, let's talk about the report itself. You can call the area office and make your report. Uh, there is an OSHA hotline, 1-800-321-OSHA. And if it's outside of business hours or on the weekends, you can call the OSHA hotline and report one of those incidents. Or there is actually an online reporting option, and you can go to the OSHA website and report online. There are three ways to do that. Um, and there is a timetable, of, of course. There's a clock ticking on this. So as far as fatalities go, if you have a work-related fatality, it must be reported to the local jurisdiction or the hotline within eight hours of you becoming aware of that fatality, okay? Uh, and that you may not know immediately that you've had a fatality occur in your workplace or out on a work site or something, but... Once you or one of your agents, one of your company representatives have become aware of this fatality, the clock starts ticking. You have eight hours to notify OSHA. Keep in mind that this is a 30-day period. So if you have an injury to an employee and they would pass away within 30 days of that injury, you still must make the phone call. If, if they would pass away 31 days later or more as a result of that injury and complications, you don't have to call OSHA. And um, we can talk more about this, but we don't want to call OSHA if we don't have to. Okay. I think we all understand that um, we only want to be in contact with the area office if we have uh, a need or requirement to do so. So amputations is kind of a new one. Um, if you have a work-related amputation, you have to contact the area office within 24 hours of becoming aware of that amputation, okay? Uh, and there is a 24-hour time limit on that as well. So if you have an incident uh, and we may not have had a, an amputation necessarily, but it results in some type of a surgical procedure that requires amputation in order to address that incident, if that happens within 24 hours of the original, original incident, now you have to contact the area office. So... Um, the definition of amputation hangs a lot of people up, uh, and OSHA frankly hasn't given a really good definition of amputation, but, and I, I, um, I'm reluctant to do this, but I'm going to read you OSHA's definition and then maybe Cody and I can talk about it a little bit. How does OSHA define amputation? An amputation is the traumatic loss of a limb or other external body part. Amputations include a part such as a limb or appendage that has been severed, cut off, amputated, either completely or partially, fingertip amputations with or without bone loss, medical amputations resulting from irreparable damage, amputations of body parts that have since been reattached. Amputations do not include avulsions, enucleations, degloving's, scalpings, severed ears, or broken or chipped teeth. Okay, so basically um, the cutting off of meat is uh, an amputation, okay? I, I, had a, I had a guy one time call me and say, um, Doug, I think we've had a partial amputation. What do I do? And I said, okay, well, tell me what happened. He goes, one of my guys lost two fingers. <laughs> and I said, so, so let me get this straight now. So <clears throat> the loss of two fingers, I'm going to consider that a complete amputation. It's not like you still have part of your hand left. 
Uh, it would be maybe you hack off a piece of meat, you sever off a piece of meat that is still attached, and you can reattach it. That would be, in my opinion, uh, partial amputation, okay? But again, this can be very confusing. I mean, I have seen a number of cases where you've had a, some kind of a traumatic hand injury, and you really don't know the extent of the injury. So you you send the employee to uh, the emergency room, and you know now they are doing the evaluation and trying to make a determination, and you might find out after the fact that it was an evulsion or it was an amputation. And, we, and whatever the doctor or the medical professional tells us, we're going to go with that. But it is not always clear immediately if you have an amputation or one of these other um, horrible incidents that don't qualify as amputations. So the clock does not start ticking on your 24 hours to notify until you become aware that you've had an amputation. You know, and you've got to, in good faith, you've got to try to obtain this information. You've got to, you know, seek it out. But in my experience, hospitals or other medical folks are not really free with that information. You know, they have a lot of HIPAA concerns, information, you know, confidentiality concerns. So they're not quick to tell you things. And so it might, it might take you a while to figure out whether or not you've had an amputation. And, and my advice is, you know, in good faith, try to gain that information but don't make the phone call until you have some, if not certainty, at least, you know, some, um, some probability that you do have an amputation and it's not one of these others. I just had a, uh, someone call me recently that had an avulsion uh, as diagnosed by the medical professional and, and as horrible as it sounded, I was excited for them, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a terrible incident, but it didn't require uh, a call to the area office. Right. So, again, you've got 24 hours to make that. The same is true. The hospitalization issue is also one that can be difficult. So they are not talking about treatment in the emergency room. They are not talking about spending the night in the emergency room. They're not talking about it. They are talking about admission into the medical service of the hospital for treatment under the care of a physician. Again, it's not observation. It's not further diagnosis. It is admission into the medical service of the hospital for treatment. Um, and again, that's not always easy to, not, not easy information to obtain, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that can be difficult, but again, the clock does not start ticking. Your 24 hours to report does not start ticking until you know that you've had this inpatient hospitalization. Okay. So, um, and the final one, the loss of an eye, I don't know why this was included in the information gathering 17 years with OSHA, and I don't know that I ever investigated someone who actually physically lost their eye, but uh, it's something that OSHA is interested in. So if that were to occur, you also have 24 hours to report that, okay? Um, so let me just tell you what's going to happen when you make this report. Uh, OSHA is going to contact you. This is not what they refer to as their rapid response initiative, It's just a way for them to gather information about these uh, critical incidents. They're probably going to contact you to get more information. Uh, Oftentimes you've either, if you've done the online notification or if you've left a message at, uh, you know, at the area office, they'll call you back, gather more information, and they're probably going to send you some documentation to complete. It's kind of a summary of your internal investigation, your own findings, if you've been able to identify any causative or uh, contributory factors, and then what you've done to try to address that issue. Certainly, OSHA, they are looking t- to be comfortable that it's not going to happen again. They want to know that you've got it under control so that it's not. we're not going to have a repeat of that same thing. So we can talk more about that later, but you are probably going to have to respond to OSHA with some paperwork, and then they, c- they will determine at that point whether they're going to send somebody out or not. Mm-hmm. Okay? <coughs> Excuse me. So the last thing I'm going to say about recording and reporting is that OSHA does now have, again, this electronic reporting requirement. So um, if you if you qualify, if you are an employer that is covered by this, and that basically means an establishment that has 20 or more employees, uh, you are going to be required to submit your OSHA 300A, your summary, from the previous year uh, in, by March 2nd, uh, next year, you know, in 2020, you have until March 2nd to submit your 2019 data. So you go online, you go to that, uh, the OSHA website, they have a, 
They have a link there where you will go on. Have you done this, Cody? Yes, I've done this you, many times. You, you've done this many, probably got, too many times. It was always from the, the BLS. And oh, so that's you, right. Yeah, you were chosen again. I'm like, wow, awesome. <laughs> well, Another lucky. year doing it. Exactly. So, so are, have you done the electronic yep. submission? How did that work? Was it? It was very simple. Very, was it pretty straightforward? Yeah, it was ju- you just follow it, you know, how many injuries, and you just kind of go down the line and describe how it happened. Okay. And then you submit it in. Okay, so. basically your 300A information exactly. you're submitting from that previous year. Yep. So again, if you've got 20 or more employees, uh, actually, the actually in the standard it says if you're between 20 and 249, and you are in a listed industry, which is basically all industries. But if you're in a listed industry, other than those low hazard ones, you have to submit this information. And if you had have 250 or more employees at a given establishment, this is location specific. You have to report whether you know. So this is construction. This is a manufacturing. Uh, this is a, a, a pretty broad swath of different types of industries that are required to make this report. And this information is then going to be utilized by OSHA and probably the Bureau of Labor Statistics, other interested parties <clears throat> for research purposes, perhaps, as well as for um, identifying opportunities for inspection under mm-hmm. their site-specific targeting okay. program. And we can talk more about that at another time. But I hope, hopefully that answers the question. Um, there's a lot to it. Again, if you have questions about record keeping, go to 1904 or my other advice would be contact the area office. I I mean, um, again, I got a lot of questions while I was with OSHA that had to do with record keeping and reporting. And, uh, even, even this rapid response initiative, if you are unsure whether or not you need to report an incident, in my experience in Omaha has been if you call the Omaha area office and tell them what's going on, they will tell you whether or not it is something that meets the parameters to be reported or not. They've been very good about that. I've, I've been really pleased that they, they have been, uh, you know, helpful like that. So, uh, again, um, it might be best to contact the area office just for clarification in some circumstances. So kind of say like, Hey, I'm asking for a friend, but <laughs> exactly. hypothetically, <laughs> that's exactly right, man. Don't ever self-identify. And, and to date, I don't think the Omaha area office has caller ID. Nope. I'm not sure about the other area. I can only speak for Omaha from experience, but yeah, I wouldn't necessarily throw your name out there. It's funny you say that. Um, just an aside, when I was with OSHA, and I would go to conferences to speak or luncheons to give presentations or something. People invariably covered up their name tags when they were speaking to me. They'd come up to ask a question, their hand would go over their name tag. I'm like, it's okay. But you know, I don't think that I don't think they're interested in that. So I think there's just such a scare tactic on the whole thing was you can't talk to these guys because they're going to come into your facility and absolutely and start, you know, inspecting everything. And that's right. If and- they got wind of you. Uh, they would immediately come out and inspect you, and that's that's definitely not the case. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, while I was with OSHA, there was a letter sent out from the assistant secretary saying, specifically, we will not initiate inspections based on a legitimate inquiry for or request for information. Right. And, and that was absolutely appropriate, so mm-hmm. I was excited about that. All right, so we've got that business out of the way. It's a pleasure to introduce my guest today. Um, Cody Hoover is the senior safety manager now at Jack Links. Yep. But we met back at Hornady. You yep. were with Hornady in Nebraska at the time. Yep. Uh, it's probably been five or so years ago. It was actually only two years ago. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit, man. I'm old and, <laughs> and life is speeding past me here. But we, we have only known each other a short time. I think we actually have a lot in common. We've become pretty good friends. Yeah. Um, I will say my impression of you has always been you are a, you are a safety professional who takes his work seriously and you've always impressed me with your, as for a young guy, you're a young guy. And if anybody sees the picture of us standing next to you, it'll look like Cody and his great grandfather. <laughs> but you have acquired a lot of knowledge. Uh, you know the regulations well. You know the concepts well. I've always been impressed by that, man. Thank you. Um, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Maybe you're, you know, I, I'm, I'm reluctant to say this because Ruben literally took two hours to describe his work history. He's been doing it for so long. I, if I can keep it under two hours, that's great. Yeah. Um, so, and, and then we'll just get it right into some discussion, man. Yeah. Thank, so, thanks for coming. I yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is actually really awesome. And I've been doing safety for about 11 years now, and I got introduced to it uh, through Hornaday. I applied for a position. I honestly couldn't even tell you what an MSDS was at the time, mm-hmm. um, but they hired me because I was very, I guess, theatrical, I guess. I was kind of <laughs> funny and 
they liked the personality and I, I kind of just got introduced to it and I wanted to figure out the regulations because I just didn't feel like just scanning in MSDSs at the time was really that great. Right. right. And um, so that's where I kind of got my ground or started and I actually started reading companies that were getting cited by OSHA violations and that's how I got really introduced to the regulation. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, so this is what this standard is for that because they're very descriptive Absolutely. on that. And so I would encourage any new person going into the field, start looking at companies that were getting cited because you can actually apply that to to what you're doing. So I, since I was at Hornady, I was looking at Remington because we were mm-hmm. very comparable. Right. And so same type of industry. And guess what? We had very similar hazards that were right. there. And it was easy to start identifying them and start understanding the regulation. So you're just pulling that right off the OSHA website? Right off the OSHA website. Fast, easy, free. So, Man, that is that is really interesting. I, I, I've not heard people say that before. I used to read those all the time, mm-hmm. certainly, as a compl- as a compliance person, as an OSHA person. But yeah. When you have no clue of the regulation and you're looking at that book and you're like, holy cow, how does it, you know, you're looking at the electrical standard and and then, you know, you're seeing Remington getting cited for 305, G1, mm-hmm. Roman mm-hmm. numeral four, and you're like, Oh, this is what that means. That and then you're like, good. I seen this out there. Mm-hmm. And and so then you can start doing audits. That's good advice, man. I like that. Yeah. And and so then I I was at Hornady for eight years and I, I did everything from just the uh, the training to process safety management on the explosive side, which mm-hmm. is very interesting. It was very mm-hmm. fun. Um Hascom was a big thing, GHS. Mm-hmm. I helped with the CLP over in European uh, for the European Union standard. And um and so, yeah, I did industrial hygiene. So Hornaday really kind of just spent a lot of money and a lot of time trying to get me to where I needed to be. Yeah. And that's really cool. So did you go to a lot of classes then? Or what do you say they spent a lot of, did they so, train you pretty well? Yeah, process safety management on an explosive side. So I did that four times. Uh, I went to, I mean, just a bunch of different. Um, like through the safety council? Or some where safety would you council. Go to? Yeah, I would go to Chicago. I'd go to New Orleans. I mean, just oh, no kidding. More, more for the manufacturing side. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they and and then I would just read the book like every mm-hmm. safety nerd there mm-hmm. and then start figuring out what can I do to decipher this regulation because it's liberally construed. Like the guy who said, I got a partial amputation. Mm-hmm. Credit on that guy because he <laughs> right. construed it to the way that he yeah. wanted to believe. Absolutely. So good on him. But that's interesting, man. I. I don't think people always spend enough time reading the regulations. And I think we would all agree that, mm-hmm. you know, being compliant is not the end all of safety, right. but it is certainly an important part of what we do. And uh, not very many people have the the uh, breadth of regulatory knowledge that you do in, in a very short time. So that that's uh, that's a credit to you, man. I, I, <sighs> I don't know if that. that makes me sad or just not, but, <laughs> right, you know, right. but the thing is I can just spit out a, a, a number now. I think they just believe me, so I'm just – Maybe well, I should just do a test to see if I if they would just believe anything. Just I say. speak with confidence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I did that for eight years, and then I end up taking a position at Warren because I, I end up getting married and I mm-hmm. end up moving to 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 Omaha, and I did that for about fifteen months, and then Jack Links came as a as a step up as a senior safety mm-hmm. manager, and I took that, and I, I've been doing that for about ten months now, good. and it's been awesome. So oh, good. yeah, good. so that's what what what, is, what do you guys do? Uh, Are you you actually know Sasquatch? I mean, I don't know Sasquatch. Like I said, I have a I have a picture with him, okay. and it's pretty awesome. <laughs> right. um, you get in so much beef jerky. I think we need to start a health and wellness program with all the sodium intake that's going on right now. Is it is it yeah. uh, bad to have too much protein? But um, uh, not in my. <laughs> Um, no, we, it's a DC plant, um, which okay. people think of DC and they're like, oh, that's not too technical. But then we have a secondary manufacturing. So we mm-hmm. do have a lot of repetitive motion. We okay. do have uh, machine, uh, machines there. We do have a maintenance personnel team. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and I always tell people DC, that can be just as dangerous as any other place oh, no because doubt. you have a fluid hazard, forklifts, right. pallet jacks, and right. they're constantly moving. Yeah, and so it's not like a stationary machine. Well, that I think you statistically could, that would that would bear that out. I mean, you're yeah. much more likely to have an injury in an environment like that. Yeah, I say technical wise, it's probably on the easier side, but as far as hazard wise, I would say it's very up there. So right, and and your employees. I mean, keeping your employees focused and engaged. Yep. in an environment like that, attentive. Yes, you know, to their surroundings, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. That's that's a challenge. Yes, yes, that was one of the the biggest challenges when he got there was trying to identify just the simple walkways because they're walking in between aisles. They, they didn't really understand the, the reason why it's unsafe. And, and so kind of redirecting mm-hmm. them and, and, but mm-hmm. listening to them too, to kind of mm-hmm. understand 
why they need to walk through there and, and kind of coming to a compromise in right. some areas. So that's interesting. Uh, it's interesting you say that because one of my er, the previous guests, or I guess in the chronology of things, um, mentioned that same thing listening. I mean, is, that's a critical part of what you do, I'm mm-hmm. assuming. Yes, you have to. Because if I go in there and wield my OSHA knowledge power and mm-hmm. say, we're going to do it this way, and that's not going to get a lot of response. But what we can do is listen to them, listen to their concerns, what they're going up against every day, and coming to a compromise. And it may not be the most popular thing on the, as far as the safety thing goes, but it, it's, it meets my needs as far mm-hmm. as acceptable level of risk, and it satisfies them right. enough that they want to comply with it. Right. I think that's a win-win right there. Yeah, no doubt. And I can give you an example real quick, if you don't mind. Yeah, um, we have these, you know pallet jacks the rider pallet jacks that are you know two lengths long the the forks and so the the rule was and on the observations you have to if somebody walks over the forks you have to identify it and you have to talk to the person Mm -hmm. and there should be some sort of reprimand they said and i'm like well that makes you know why does this keep happening you know Mm -hmm. and and you know we keep seeing this over and over so i went down and talked to the team members down there and said hey so what's going on so what's you know why can't we pull these out and they said well because our product is very light, because I'm coming from a bullet manufacturing mm-hmm. company where product is heavy. Heavy, right. And so when I put it on a pallet, you know, even as three high, if I try to pull out the pallet jack, it, it shakes everything, knocks everything over. Mm-hmm. So now you're substituting a hazard for another hazard, bending mm-hmm. back down. Right. Um, our aisles are very narrow there. And, and so sometimes they have order picks that are on top of each other, so they can't move. And is it appropriate for to tell our management team that you can't move or you have to wait until everybody moves until you can pull out the jack. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. And sometimes they're out in the aisle, and we can't have them pull out into the aisle because these are one one in and one out aisles. And so I said, "Hey, you know what? If you're if those are those situations, I'm okay with you stepping on the forks. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's fine. Mm-hmm. If you, if the if there is an opportunity for you to pull the jacks out safely." Um, that's the new expectation. So okay. that's what I'd like to see. Yeah. And guess what? We've had 100% compliance on this. Oh, no we looked at lagging indicators to, to make sure that I'm not introducing this, this hazard that's been around. There's been no near misses. There's been no incidents um, attributed to that. So I, I guess I just made the decision that I'm okay with this. And it made right. everybody happy because you listen to them. Yeah. And every you know some safety people, especially new, well, that's a trip hazard. Right. Understand so it's just black and white. Yeah, black. This is black. the rule. We're not going to be flexible. Talk to them, and and I I guarantee you, you're going to to win them over, and mm-hmm. and they're going to be more willing to come to you with more issues because you're willing to work with them and not work against them. Isn't that interesting, man? Yeah. I, I completely agree. I mean, and I know we're going to talk about behavior based safety yep. because you guys have been making some inroads into behavior based safety, yep. which is a, a concept that many people are familiar with and don't really understand, I don't think. But I think what you just described is really critical when you are when you when you have a an issue that is recurrent, you know, maybe some kind of a discrepancy or mm-hmm. a, a deviation from policy that is recurrent, there's a reason for it. You know, and unless I mean if you're if your response to that is discipline, discipline, discipline I think sometimes you're miss. I mean, there are times when you have to do yeah, that. No yep, doubt, absolutely. You have to be strict and hold people accountable. But there's an underlying reason for why people are behaving a certain way, mm-hmm. and the fact that you've you know you've come to this um, concession of sorts, you know, an agreement, I should say, where you know everybody got a little bit. Yeah. And sometimes we all feel better when we feel like we get a little bit. Yeah. You know, I'm happy with the 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 new policy because guess what? We can change a policy pretty easily. Yeah, it's hard to change a habit. So, yeah. Oh, no doubt. And yeah, it so, truly is. And so they and they were very excited about it. They felt heard, which is mm-hmm. very new and unique. Mm-hmm. And and there was instant gratification. You yeah. Know? So they they didn't have to wait seven months for something to turn out. They we oh, we man. approved it. We got it through, and we brought it up in huddles and 100 percent compliance. Man, that's, that's really good. That instant gratification point is really observant too, mm-hmm. man. People want that. Yeah. You know, if they have to wait, as you said, they wait seven months for some kind of a change or implementation of some, got to roll this new policy. Oh, man, just, you know. it take And it does take that long. And that's why when with safety people and, and especially new, you know, they want to make these these changes, but they're so grandiose and and mm-hmm. sometimes they're unreasonable. And so you're you're promising these people well, in seven, seven months, it's going to be a lot better. Well, what can we do short-term right now yeah. to make it at least 
okay. Tolerable. Yeah, yeah. tolerable. And, and that's where we need that bridge, that gap right there. Oh, man, that's really, that's really a great observation. Yeah, thank you. I'm impressed by that, man. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> thank you. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk a little bit about behavior-based safety, man. I, I personally, you know, as an OSHA guy, the majority of my career was spent with OSHA. OSHA doesn't deal a lot with behavior. Mm-mm. You know, most of what OSHA does is enforce conditions mm-hmm. or uh, regulations. They, they don't – I got to be honest, when I got out of OSHA, I – I am not uh, particularly knowledgeable at behavior-based safety. I understand it. I've been to conferences where it's discussed. I've never had to implement it myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell me, what's your experience with it? Yeah, so behavioral-based safety, it's still kind of new, and it's the buzzword that's going on with Mm -hmm. safety. If if you're uh, applying for a job, mention behavioral-based safety, and people just start salivating over that. So. Right. Um, they want it. I think they think they want it. They want it, but they don't know how to get it. And I'm not saying I have the answers to it all, but I can tell you what I've experienced. And yeah, what, definitely. What is not behavioral-based safety. And companies spending thousands of dollars to bring in an observation team, to, to, to bring in iPads, and to do observations, to look at just the behavior, that is not behavioral-based safety. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a shallow approach, okay. symptomatic, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, when you see somebody doing something that's a departure of, of our policies or what we would consider unsafe. And then we say, well, we went up and coached them and we told them the right way to do it. And then guess what? Nothing gets fixed. Mm-hmm. They go back to the same sort of thing. Yeah. And, and why? You know, if you're looking at behavior, you have to look at everything else, all angles. And so we apply the ABC, the antecedent, the behavior, and a consequence. Sure. Yeah. And that's how we all that's how we do things every day in our life, not just in the in the workplace settings. Right, right, agreed. And so um, when you take a look at that, when you see something that's, it's okay to do observations. I'm going to say that. if th- That should be a piece to the behavioral-based mm-hmm. safety, but that should not be the full implementation. Mm-hmm. And so when you do behavioral-based safety and you start seeing those, you can coach to it, but those coaching should have a corrective action attached to it. Mm-hmm. And they should have some sort of cause mapping mm-hmm. of, of a root cause analysis sort of deal. Why are they doing it like yeah, this? Yeah, why that behavior is has appeared in the first place. Exactly. It could be environmental. It could be a management team management saying we need to get this out faster. It could be the fact that we don't have the proper equipment. Um, it could be the fact that we're not enforcing it. So if we're not enforcing it, maybe we don't have a policy. Whose fault? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's and it could be everybody's fault. Mm-hmm. And then you have to start tackling that. But but ju- just try to to address it to that person and hope that they change by giving them positive feedback. Mm-hmm. The coaching. The coaching just does not work. It oh, that's interesting. It I've doesn't. always wondered about that. And I guess people could argue with me, but if you have a 100% compliance on all your stuff, zero injuries and zero near misses, then you should quit what you're doing and start selling that product because I'll, sure. I'll buy it right then and yeah, there. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so um, let's talk a little bit about how this actually works. So... Um, you do some observations and I've always been interested. Do you think, I mean, the act of being observed impacts the, because normally from the traditional behavior base that you go up and you tell the person, I'm going to do an observation Mm -hmm. of you and just act natural. Yep. That's still how it is. Does that work? I mean, it it can work, but all it's showing is they know how to act correctly when they're being observed. Right. Okay. So what I do is we use that as and identify some some maybe some fault areas that we need to shore up. Okay. But what I'll do is I'll pick one thing a week and I'll observe it myself. And so let's say forklifts not backing up or using their horn to back up or to go out right. of dock uh, dock doors um, and and stop signs. Okay. And I won't. I'll go out there for a purpose. I'm not going out there just to 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 just observe that. I'm going out there and I'm just talking to. You know, team members, or I'm, I'm maybe help picking up, help looking at 5S auditing stuff. But then I'm kind of keeping track of how many times in this area that I'm here have I seen this. You know, is nobody using their horn mm-hmm. for these sort of things? And I get a couple hours of data, and then I could kind of obviously with probability or math, you know, statistically mm-hmm. speaking, you could say, okay, here's the the percentage of what we're seeing. Okay. And then let's say if I get 45% non-compliance, they're just not doing that. And then, so you can go back to the, well, why I can go back down there and say, you know, and, and not address the person who's doing it. Just say, Hey, you know, uh, start asking nonchalant questions and get into the forklift, you know, operations, you know, so we've been trained over, you know, training over stuff that has that been going pretty well. And they're like, yeah, 
um, you know, when we're backing up and sounding our horn, you know, if there's a if there's a lead or a supervisor there, are they saying anything if you don't do it? And they'll be very honest with mm-hmm. you, like, oh no, they won't. And then you could say, okay, so now the behavior has been influenced because of the supervisor or lead. Mm-hmm. And so then I would make a call in with with those uh, team members, the leads and supervisors, and say, hey guys, this is what I've identified. This is what I've seen. This is what um, I was getting out there on the floor. This is what we need to get to. We need to start enforcing this. We need to start coaching to it mm-hmm. first, you know, addressing it to huddles and saying, hey, we're going to be right. watching this a lot more. I mean, make sure that everybody understands yeah. the expectations exactly. for one thing. They're not always clearly communicated. Right. So as long as everybody's on the same page now, you can take the next step probably. Yeah. And so, and then, and then when you get this sort of, um, accountability on the supervisor because behavior is learned mm-hmm. and silence is compliance. Mm-hmm. And so if a supervisor or lead walks by and, and nothing is done, they're just going to assume. And so, but we always, behavior-based safety always tailored it towards the behavior of the person. But what about the behavior of the person not addressing mm-hmm. oh, that's that, a good point. You know, yeah, that direct behavior? I like that. And so that's that's part of it too. And and people, you know, people once again they'll argue with me because they'll say, "Well, you're creating this negative culture," and that's not true. It's holding people accountable to mm-hmm. do their jobs. Right. You know, I would say then if that was the same sort of mentality that we should be using, then we should get rid of police officers, right? Because if we're all happy and then mm-hmm. we should be following the rules, right? But, everybody's going to do the right thing. Yep. Regardless we, of any consequence, we would love that in an idealistic world that would happen, but we know that that's not the true thing in in our work setting. So. We have to have what we call on our ABCs the consequence. We have to have what's called an artificial consequence, and the artificial consequence would be, you know, reprimands. It would be retraining. It'd be stuff like that okay. to, to to re or to redirect that behavior because it becomes so cyclical. Because right. if nothing happens, right. then they're going to keep doing that same behavior. Absolutely. You have to put something in place for that to to change that reinforcement so that behavior changes. Right, and that's how we become successful at it. So we'll pick one topic. Um, we'll do observations to help and we'll do cause mapping if we are, and start identifying areas. But then we'll also do one where, and I hate to say we're, they're being, oh, police. No, we're auditing. Mm-hmm. We're auditing our mm-hmm. programs. Right. You know, we're Gotta making be. sure it's effective. So Because maybe we didn't touch on it hard enough during training. Maybe right. it's, Maybe the supervisors are addressing it. Maybe we just haven't really pushed on it. Right. Well then, right. well guess whose fault that is? That's mine. Guess who needs to make the change? Mine, right. or right. me? And yeah. and so um, that's what we do. And that's how I think, in my mind, that's how behavior-based safety works. Is so l- let me ask you this. So just for to make sure I'm understanding what you're saying, rather than when you go out, I, th- I think the forklift example is a great example. I-, I hear that one frequently. I can't get my guys to honk the horn or mm-hmm. whatever. That that is a very common complaint. And I think, um, so when you're making these observations, are you, you're making an observation as a whole, Holistic, not necessarily yep. just watching one guy, right? but you're watching the activity right. in the warehouse area and you're engaging different employees to try to get their feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's a little bit uh, more encompassing than what I would typically have envisioned as an observation. Yeah. This one is a little bit more comprehensive in that okay. manner because- That makes sense. Yeah. You're, you're looking at the- because if one individual might be just doesn't pay attention, or one individual might do everything right, and that's not a true uh, picture as to how the operations actually run, mm-hmm. and and so so you know we talked about this before. I, I feel like supervisors are the untouchables. You can't they can do no wrong, and in, in my facility they they're the ones that are are getting reprimanded pretty harshly mm-hmm. if things go wrong. If we find out through right. appropriate um, root cause analysis that it was a an issue with lack of enforcement on the mm. supervisor side. Yeah, man. I think that is a, I, I think most safety people would, are, are aware of the fact that it breaks down at that frontline supervisory level. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes the management, the management are saying the right things. They believe that the right things are taking place out in the facility. Um, and then you get down to that, you know, down into the grassroots application level out in the plant. And th- these frontline supervisors have so much that they're responsible for. Mm-hmm. I mean, they got to get widgets out the door, right? Or whatever the services you provide, it has to happen. Yeah. Um, that oftentimes, I shouldn't say oftentimes, but if it's going to break down, that's where it often breaks down. Yep. And like you said, uh, 
and I, I'm repeating myself undoubtedly, but as Plato said, and the only reason I know this is because my kid that's a philosophy major tells me this, <laughs> I would not read Plato otherwise, but <laughs> silence gives consent, yeah. right? I mean, if you're allowing a behavior that is, that, is, that is a departure from our policies, but you don't address it, yep. it becomes habit. Yep. And then it's really hard to get it out, man. Yeah. You've got to address those things. Yeah. And there has to be, like you said, there's probably going to be a need for more than just coaching at some point. Yeah. And so people, some of the safety managers would argue with me, well, you're, just, you're, you're the one that's not addressing it. I said, I'm actually doing an audit to see what the actual, I mean, and once we identified it, then I'll be addressing it for sure. Right. I just, but I need to know what's actually going on. Right. You can't run around and, and actually intervene on every occasion. Right. That, that's exactly While you're trying to decide what's going on. And supervisors, they do, yeah. I mean, they have, I would say, the worst job. They're like the E6s of the military. <laughs> right. They just get the staff NCO, but... They have to deal with all the babysitting of the NCO and below, but they get all the stuff, crap yeah. from the up tip top that are pushing down on them. So um, it's right. not easy. And no, so, it's not. And the best thing that we can do is is support them and and listen to what they maybe what they're lacking into. And so, right. and the best thing that I can think of is I always bring in supervisors in one by one and ask them what what their jo- role is in safety. And we'll write them down on post-its, and I'm going to go through line by line, which one are you doing and which one do you need help with? Mm-hmm. And then we could start creating this, this um, uh, safety manual specifically for them mm-hmm. that will really help help them out. Because I think times, too, that supervisors don't get the, the right information as well. No doubt. And so, you know, and this is a good way to – behavior-based safety is a good way to identify the problems and reset Mm-hmm. And then and then start writing the rules of the game. Wow, that's I like so. that man. That, and again, you said something there that is really powerful. I mean, I think uh, safety professionals who who are working at a higher level are listening to their employees. But at an even higher level, you've got to ask those frontline supervisors why they are unable to fulfill mm-hmm. those responsibilities or what resources they're lacking. Yeah. You know, that's taking it to a, another level, man. That that is really impressive. I like that too. Yeah, they they we have a safety with supervisors and leads, and we hit topics that we think would be pertinent for them, and and it really I think it's been a game changer. There's been, right. I mean, I hardly get anybody who miss it. They, I mean, it's usually filled, mm-hmm. and we go review incidents. We review. So how often would you do that? Every biweekly. Oh, biweekly, you yep. bring the supervisors in. Yep, and they all comply, and and because they they it's this. It's a quick information. We're not killing them with mm-hmm. OSHA standards. I'm giving them, which I've said before to you, I give mm-hmm. them the baby and not the labor. Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. But I like that a lot, man. I, I think oftentimes we have not perhaps equipped them with what they need to be able mm-hmm. to do this incredibly challenging job well. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And as, as safety professionals, to, to support that, we need to make sure that they understand what our expectations are because – then I think that's just this constant battle between management and safety where we just can't get along. Mm-hmm. And, and we're like, well, they're not listening to us and like they don't understand us. Well, let's start under, talking to each other and let's figure out what's going on. So. Right. Oh, that's really good. So, um, And so is it working? I mean, are you seeing some... We're seeing great I mean, results. Good. I mean, we're, we still have recordables, because, but that's, yeah. we, don't, we don't set zero as our goal. We just, we just set severity. Which is, you know, like I would rather, much rather have, you know, if we had ten recordables but mm-hmm. zero severity ones, where they cost mm-hmm. days away, right? That's to me is a win, a dramatic improvement. Exactly. Yeah, no you doubt. know, we're gonna get strains, and we're we're people, and we're getting older, and we're not as agile as we once were, and you know what, things do happen, right. no doubt. But as long as we can keep them healthy and on site and back to work with, you know, no disability, that's mm-hmm. a win for us. And I and, and just changing that mindset because. You know, we got some antiquated minds at, at the tip top at corporate think zero is the goal. And mm-hmm. I think zero sends the wrong message. And Yeah, there's a lot of discussion about that, man. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there has always been. I mean, I remember while I was with at OSHA, uh, one of my area directors, a good friend of mine now, um, she was of the belief that, you know, we should be pushing to get to zero. No fatalities in Nebraska. And everybody agrees with that. Yeah. We, we all agree that that... But the minute we would have a fatality, that first fatality, typically the fiscal year would start October 1st, and by October 2nd, we had a fatality. Mm-hmm. 
And then all of a sudden, well, okay, we're not getting a zero this year, maybe next, whatever, you know? And I think there is a psychology to that. Yeah. It can almost be defeating to some extent when that, when that goal can no longer be achieved. Right. And oftentimes, unfortunately, that's early in the year. And then now you're, you know, we, I think there's just, I think you're right as far as the, the, the psychology goes on, on that, because once I feel like the floodgates open, when one happens, it's almost like people were holding back because mm-hmm. they didn't want to be that first one, and mm-hmm. then you just get a flood yeah. of them. And, yeah. and oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, oh, that's a whole separate topic, man. But uh, that reluctance to report or that mm-hmm. that uh, kind of quashing of reporting that you know OSHA has always been very concerned about um, influencers that prevent or suppress reporting. Oh, yeah. Internally, you know, the... Going to your boss and telling him you've hurt yourself, you know. Yeah, we've actually been, and I don't know if that's another topic for a, another safety professional, but we've been talking about that, and you know, because they're getting upset that they're not reporting incidents immediately, and we, I'm like, we need to define immediately because U.S. Steel got sued mm-hmm. and they lost that lawsuit. Um, you know, they're protected under 35B and mm-hmm. also 11C in the OSHAC. So, I mean, there, there are things that we, as safety professionals, we'd like to have them report it, but we have to be very, very careful mm-hmm. as to what we're going to do because, you know, a soft tissue, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. may take seven days to manifest into something right. more severe. And then if they know that they're going to get written up after 24 hours of non-reporting, do you think they're going to re- – absolutely not. Right. That's a great point, man. So I, – I love the idea of defining what we mean by immediate because yeah. you're right. I mean, and just <clears throat> the mentality of the employee mm-hmm. – some people are not complainers. They are, you yeah. know, I've got a, I'm sore. I've got mm-hmm. a sore muscle. My, I've got a sore back, whatever. Uh, the initial onset of some kind of re- repetitive stress type of a thing, they don't complain. Mm-hmm. And now you're going to penalize them for not, exactly. I mean, just who they are. I'm not yeah. sure that they are even capable sometimes. And what if they're just good workers and they, they enjoy working there? And then all of a sudden they report saying, you know, hey, I had this issue. And then, Oh, by the way, not only are you injured, we're going to write you up. Right. That's that's not a good way to right. retain. That's a, that's a good uh, point. Good employees either. Yeah, so that's a really good point. Oh, that's interesting. I know. I mean these these could go on indefinitely. Oh my gosh, man. we could talk. I mean, well let's let's talk a little bit about. Um, I love that behavior based. We might have to come and revisit that at yeah, some point in the future for sure. Yeah, that is really interesting. Whatever you need, I can send. What I what I use all the matrix and and how we do. Well, it. again. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> This episode will be posted on the website. Okay. Your name will be on there and your contact information. Um, I don't want to open up a floodgate of people contacting you directly, but there may be somebody that reaches out to you just, you know, in need of that form. Or if it becomes really popular, we'll just post the form on the website yeah, so people can sure. have access to it or something. But, for sure. But I think, as you said, I think everybody is intrigued by behavior-based safety. They are. And how they can utilize that. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you do with your data? I mean... It's directing some of your corrective actions and stuff. Are you capturing data, or am I thinking about yeah, something else? Everything gets captured and on down to the Pareto level, so where where it's actually at, what shifts, so we can start tracking trends and identifying which supervisors are attached to that. Are they new? I mean, so that's that's the Pareto level that okay. we get down okay. to, which is what you need in order to collect good data. You know, so once again, we don't want to be on the surface symptomatic. We want mm-hmm. to know what are causing these mm-hmm. actual issues. And, um, yeah, so like we, we keep them, I, you know, and I just week by week. And so we'll just, you know, it's, it's not like a, we have our observations on an iPad. It's, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's a program that they bought a while back. But the one that I use where it's just simple, where we just pick something, it's, it's, uh, it's just something that I put on a Excel matrix and, okay. and that's it. And we keep, you know, we run reports on that. So, so let me ask one last question about this. How do you identify what you're going to audit or investigate or is I, it based on incidents? I mean, nope. I preset it. So I don't base it normally on incidents. I just, sometimes the observations will say, Hey, we've been seeing a lot of issues with this. Okay. And so then I could kind of gear it towards that. Okay. Other than that, I already have it preset for the month. Like so you've got an idea yep. what you want to, and okay. nobody knows it except for me. Oh, interesting. and that's the, that's okay. the thing that you need to keep and hold to you is that because once supervisors know and they see you out there, 
they know that you're looking exactly for oh, that. And so I gotcha. you can't just be out there looking around corners because that's creepy for one thing. <laughs> right. um, and yes. we don't want to be known as the safety police. But right. it's a good way to go out there, talk to team members, do other audits, and observe a particular thing that you may think is, is an issue and see if it actually is an issue. Mm-hmm. And then start cause mapping and finding the okay. root cause of those things. Okay. So. Oh, very good. Oh, that's really interesting, man. Okay. Well, we could probably spend another hour on that at some point. It's great stuff. Uh, well, let, let me ask you. Um, I was at a, a kind of a small uh, safety meeting last night. Okay. Uh, yes, I'm a loser, man. I <laughs> I go to I go to safety meetings in the evenings as well. You know, it's like, hi, I'm Doug, and I'm a safety professional. It's like AA. Almost. Hey, Doug. <laughs> exactly. There's a chorus. Hi, Doug. So, um, but. One of the things that we did as, as an exercise within this group was just to discuss in small groups some of the things that each of these uh, folks did at their company to engage their employees, okay? Uh, and they came up with some really interesting ideas. I was really impressed by some of the ideas or the, or the means that some of these companies used to just involve. And I think we would all agree as safety professionals, the more involved your employees are in the in the process or the program programmatic part of your safety, the better typically, you mm-hmm. know, they, they, they get a little bit more buy-in. They, they feel a little bit more invested in it. You guys do anything that you think is useful from that standpoint or? Well, for our huddles and everything. Um, what, is, what is a huddle? First of all, huddle is, is just a, before we go on our shift, we, we talk about safety. We talk about quality. Um, we talk, uh, there's just, we do our pre-shift stretches and okay. stuff and you know, it's like 15 minutes allotted for that time. Okay. And so safety, what we ended up doing was we ask, we opened the forum by saying, so if we're picking up this box, what's hazardous about this and try to get them engaged and start talking about it. And because it's specific to what they're doing. And okay. then you start hearing some of the, the issues. Mm-hmm. Well, we have to do this. Well, these boxes are a lot heavier and, you know, so we start getting a feel of, wow, we need to change some things, mm-hmm. you know? And so, which is nice because, but they're also talking to each other, giving each other best practices um, okay. and, and all that kind of stuff. So who, who leads the huddle? It's so usually supervisors, but if it's a big topic, I'm down there. Okay. You know, so. Um, and I was going to say, because some if, if somebody's got to capture that information, yep. I mean, if it's generating a lot of feedback, man, you don't want to lose that Yep, we have one of the leads that are uh, that are is our scribe that will okay. talk, get all that information, and then we discuss in our meetings and stuff okay. like that. So, um, but yeah, that's it's usually led by the supervisor because that is the person that they directly report to, okay, and I sure. feel like if they're owning it as a as a supervisor, right. that is, is going to get better results. And me. so, is that a, that's a work unit that has a huddle, or a, or the entire department, or how many just people? A, how many people are we talking departments, about? Departments two M is like seventy people. Okay, you know, operations is 40, 50 people. Okay. So yeah, there's. I mean, maintenance is six. So it's okay. you know, it just varies on right. department. And they're stretching, which is they're stretching. I like the pre shift stretching. Yep, yep. So uh, that becomes more and more important. I think as we're well, depending on the nature of the work that you do, but it's yes. aging as well. Our Absolutely. workforce ages, where there's a little bit of, you know, we're losing some of that elasticity. I know. I was going to say, it's, it's not fun getting I can getting barely old. tie my shoes at this point, but <laughs> yes. I like that. Well, that's interesting you say that because one of the guys last night, his comment was, they, now this is a construction contractor, but they do the pre-shift, you know, pre-start uh, uh, meeting, a huddle, mm-hmm. we'll call it a huddle. And they, they do a briefing, what, you know, what they're planning on doing that day, what the potential hazards they might be exposed to, could be doing those activities. Um, I like that very much. Yeah. I think, I, and I think that we're seeing that more and more. It's become more common. These guys, he said, then at the end of the day, they do a debriefing uh, when there's time. You know, and what, you know, if you can keep the guys, I mean, sometimes if you, the clock strikes, you know, three thirty, everybody's gone, it's yeah. like mass exodus. But, you know, if you can get the guys together at the end of the day, there is some value in doing a debriefing about how things went over the course of the day. I can see that having real value, particularly if you did something that was non-routine that day, mm-hmm. you know, to try to capture some feedback about how it went or anything that we didn't anticipate very well and how we managed that. I, I think the debriefing component sounded interesting to that, me. That sounds like an excellent idea because I think when people 
when something just sucks for them, mm-hmm. they, they want to talk about it mm-hmm. and there's really not a platform for them That's to it. share. That's it. And then they forget it by about it the next day because they're on a different sort of task. Right. Yeah. They go home, they do the, go to the kid's soccer game or whatever, and they're back the next day mm-hmm. and it's kind of forgotten. If not forgotten, you know, they're on to something else. Yeah. And, and then uh, we always hear, well, we've, yeah, it's been like this forever, but right. maybe if we caught it on a debriefing because it's fresh. And, I mean, that's that's a. I, I think I that love was, that actually. Yeah. I'm going to steal that one. So. I thought it was really good. Exactly. <laughs> no, I totally agree. I, I I was listening to this guy thinking that's really astute. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real good opportunity. Maybe you just do it once a week. Yeah. You don't have to debrief every day or after every shift necessarily, but you know, how did the week go? I think it's I think it's a great way to engage uh, employees. I think it's a great way to give them the perception mm-hmm. of care that you're giving them this opportunity to to mm-hmm. say, hey, what's going on and how you feeling? And yeah, we're right. just kind of saying before we send you home, like, are you feeling good? And and yeah, we'll see you later. See you tomorrow. So I, I agree. I man. think there's a lot of good, Interesting. good impacts on that. Yeah. yeah. So how about this one? So one of the other guys, this is a guy, he's a safety manager for uh, one of those projects that has to remain nameless. You know, you can't utter their names or there's some consequence, apparently. One of the big <laughs> construction projects going on in this area right okay. now. They do a thing that they call the five-employee lunch. And the safety people from the general contractor will just go around and just at random just pick five, 10, 15 people, uh, invite them to lunch. Lunch is catered in or paid for or whatever by the company. And then one of the executives will come in and kind of lead a, a very similar, almost like a debriefing of sorts. I mean, it's at noon mm-hmm. rather than the end of shift. But you're bringing in people from a number of different subcontractors. You're sitting down. Uh, with an executive from the GC, and you're kind of going through how things are going, yeah. what's working, what's not working. Um, everybody loves a free lunch, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have not turned down a free lunch since I left OSHA. <laughs> I will, to, to my own credit, I didn't take free lunches when I was with OSHA. We were not supposed to, but I haven't turned one down since. I will say <laughs> that. But, but that's a real opportunity then for the executive level people to be involved, to mm-hmm. be visible, and to. I mean, these are the people that can make changes, you yeah. know? So if if the employees are reporting things that they have concerns with and they see changes actually taking place, man, that you get a lot of buy-in. Absolutely. You know, and, and contrary to that, if they don't, if they're sharing things with you and, you know, and nothing happens, you've lost them. Absolutely. You know, I think they're out, man. They're that's out. an awesome idea. I, the, only pro, the only hamstring we have is we're in Underwood, Iowa. So the only thing that caters is Subway. And you can only eat Subway sandwiches so <laughs> right. often. Right before they revolt. Exactly. Actually, yeah. Sudden. So, yeah. yeah no, but that is, that's a, that's a, it was interesting. I mean, I, one of the things that I would really love to see this podcast become is just a platform for sharing some of those, you know, we can call them best practices or whatever, yeah. innovative practices, something like that. So, uh, if, if I can encourage people to just share those with me and we can talk about them, I, I think that would be, you know, when I was with OSHA, um, as the compliance assistance person, one of my responsibilities was the VPP. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of the v, the voluntary protection program liaison here in Nebraska. And we would go out and do these voluntary protection program audits. You know, Matt Gaines out of the regional office was the program manager and he'd put a team together. And, you know, these are the best of the best, right? These are companies who are being recognized by OSHA for having outstanding safety programs. They had to go through a rigorous application. Mm-hmm. They'd send an OSHA team on site to do this audit. And in the report, we would capture some of their best practices. I mean, really creative stuff. Mm-hmm. And I can remember asking Gaines one time, why don't we tabulate this? Why don't we take these best practices out of these paper <laughs> reports and put them somewhere where people have access to them. I, I'm not sure that it ever happened, but in my opinion, it was an opportunity lost. Yeah, absolutely. Because that stuff is really, really valuable. If you're a safety guy mm-hmm. and you know things are a little bit complacent around your shop and you want to try something new or innovative, where do you go to get that? Exactly. You know, I think that's why safety people can get burnt out pretty easily too mm-hmm. is because they're doing the same thing over and over again. And there is no portal to to gather this information really and, and share and say man this really worked i know it's kind of unfortunate i know it. yeah i'm hopeful that we can get to that point yeah so uh having said that just as a reminder the email address and you can write this down too at some point yeah. man but it'll be you don't have to write it down but uh, you can call me if you have questions <laughs> and, uh, um wth dash questions plural 
at FletcherSafety.com. So if you do have questions or have topics or have a best practice that you would be willing to share, send them in and we will make sure that we get them discussed. So I, I would really love to uh, be able to come on and share one or two best practices every time we get together or Absolutely. have an episode. That would be really ideal. Well, I mean, anything else that you'd like to, I know, don't. any take home message? I mean, if you were training a new safety person or talking to a person who's considering going into safety, any parting words of wisdom before we wrap up? I tell them don't do it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, that's what everybody says, but then we all do it anyway. And we do it anyway. And we love it. We love the, we do love it, man. We, we love the misery of it. Absolutely. Um, and I thought about this question because we've talked about this before and, and, you know, what are some of the attributes or, or what am I looking mm-hmm. for as if I'm going to bring in a safety coordinator? Absolutely. Is yeah. I'm looking for somebody who is super ambitious because you cannot sit in behind a desk and do an armchair analysis and base everything off a of theory. Right. And you have to be out there. And then you, right. second thing is you have to be personable. You have to be approachable. You know, you have to be actually seeming like you care. You have to go out there and work the floor with them. When I was at Hornady, I had no idea how bullet press worked. Mm-hmm. And we kept talking about it. And, you know, we're talking about these hazards. So I came in for two weeks in a row uh, at 5.30 in the morning when shift started and worked the bullet press line until 8 o'clock until I fully understood what, sorry, what they're actually doing um, and what kind of issues they're going through. So, no shit, man, yeah. that is, uh, that's a real credit to you. And that's, I think that's why in such a short time you've become such a knowledgeable safety guy, man, because uh, I, I think that's really important. Yeah. They have to see you and they ha- and, and in order for it to work, you have to understand what they're going through and then not just look at the OSHA regulation book. And we talked about this before. Mm-hmm. There is a difference between safety and there is a difference between compliance. Absolutely. Those two do not overlap each other I mean, uh, and, and fit. And right. also there might yeah. be a little bit overlapping. There's some overlap, but they're not the same thing exactly. when we talk about safety and compliance. And, and to really to, to write a good safety program is putting their, their issues into consideration and mm-hmm. looking for a short-term solution knowing that there's going to be a long-term solution. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's the way that we need to look at Play the short and long game on those. Um, so ambition, um, personable. And kind of a self-starter almost. Somebody who's going to go out there and learn this exactly, stuff. Or, exactly. Because there is no handbook, really, when you get thrown into safety, which you know. It's, man, there's not. Here's an OSHA book. Here's this, this, this. Good luck. Hope mm-hmm. you sink or swim. <laughs> Good and you, luck. And you have to learn this. And, and, and so the best way is to learn the floor first. And then, like I said, go onto the OSHA website, start pulling issues yeah, where they're getting. I thought that was really good advice. Man. And and start doing audits. And I always say do like department audits, mm-hmm. so you don't have to go big. Take pictures of anything that you think looks weird, because mm-hmm. there probably is some truth mm-hmm. to that. Yeah, trust your gut, trust your mm-hmm. instinct. There's probably, but let's go back to that just briefly. That OSHA website. Yeah. There's a lot of information under the. I think it's the data tab yep. under OSHA where you can look for most most frequently cited issues in your industry based yep. on your NAICS code, um, other establishments in your industry, what, what they've been cited for. That, that, that is a really good source of information if people are and it's trying free. to figure out what they should focus on, for yeah. one thing. Yeah, and it's not one of those cookie-cutter programs uh-huh. that you're like, well, I think I got it now, and... Man. It's a good way to learn. I tell you what, it's you'll everything that's on there you will see in your manufacturing setting. Absolutely. And it's so easy then to attach a a standard to it because a lot of times upper management will say, Well, what's wrong with this? Mm-hmm. And then you can kind of say, Well, this is what this company got cited mm-hmm. for. Exactly. And so you're looking at the benefit of the company, but then also you're going down to the employee level and just and talking to them like they're a normal person, like Hey, we want to get rid of these cords because you know, not right. because don't throw out an OSHA standard because they're going to say right. Yeah, whatever. it says right here in three hundred five. Yeah, exactly. You can't, <laughs> what the hell are you talking? You're exactly right, man. So that's, that's exactly right. Well, I mean, um, over thirty years, I have learned that you know there there are certainly some very sophisticated, nuanced technical issues that we deal with. Uh, Hornady, as an example, was one of the most interesting and challenging work environments. I mean, what a proving ground Holy to God. learn this. They had so much going on there. Yeah. It was really, I mean, it was almost overwhelming. You had, the first time I walked in there and we walked around, I was like, how the hell does he do this? Yeah, it was. But that, it, it made you a much better safety person having to deal with those challenges. But 
the bottom line is, I mean, all of the technical stuff aside, this is really an, uh, this is a profession about relationships mm-hmm. and about trust. Yep. Would you agree? I mean, Absolutely. if your employees don't trust you, you're going to get nothing right. in return from them. So you, you have to earn that. Yeah. And uh, it is about relationships oftentimes. And so I would agree that's probably a characteristic that, that we should be looking for. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. That it's just not the, you know, just some, you know, poor bastard, we're going to stick in the safety job. I mean, there are obviously characteristics that make people better safety people. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think, yeah, being empathetic, trustworthy is huge That's, too. Yeah. Um, it's not just about knowing the stuff, you know, right. and, and the, uh, the safety specialist that uh, reports to me at Underwood as well. She has the best personality. I mean, people love her. Oh, that's awesome. And and it's awesome because I she's able to identify things and 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 um and help them out immediately mm-hmm. and be able to empathize because she works the lines yeah. with them. She'll yeah. go down there and just work the line. Like, oh, good for her. Yeah, that, that, that's really cool. Yeah, I that's... think that they that re, that their ability to relate to you on that level is really critical. Yeah. I mean, that's to this day. I mean, I, as a consultant, I still go into facilities that I have no idea what they're doing. Mm-hmm. If I've been in a similar facility, great. If I haven't, which is oftentimes the case, I don't know what I'm looking at, but man, it is easy to ask an employee to explain what they do. And, and I'll be honest, employees love to talk about what they do. Absolutely. If you ask them and you're willing to listen, Mm-hmm. They will tell you what their problems are, what the issues are. Mm-hmm. You don't actually have to even know it. They exactly. will they will point it out for you. Exactly. And and that's and that's like that's the golden opportunity to really yeah. set yourself apart from, you know, just right. I call I call safety professionals and just safety people. Right. You know, and exactly. you want to go out there and you want to actually help and make a difference. And then by doing so and by and by getting a lot of this participation, this buy-in from on the employee level down up to the leadership, guess what? You're pushing out programs is going to be 100% easier because they trust that you're putting out a product that is tailored for them. That has their best interest. Yep. Yep. And not just a blanket standard that across the board that nobody can read and and it's it's complex. That's true. That's true. All right, man. We're out of time. I thank you very much for coming. I I hope we can do this again at some point. I think we can keep, you know, there's a lot more to talk about that we just scratch the surface on. I was going to say, we could have talked for another 10 hours. Uh, (laughs) Other than Pat over here, he's about ready to pass out. We got to give him his OSHA 30 card. Exactly. That's exactly right. Are you an authorized trainer? I am authorized trainer. I'm an authorized trainer. We'll give you the, he'll get the card at the end of all this. As long as you sign your name on it. (laughs) Well, man, thanks again for joining me today. Thanks. Uh, We'll do this again at some time. And everybody else, uh, thank you for listening. Keep up the good work. Thank you. A Parkville Media Production.